Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack. And in this episode, we are back with our monthly Ask Austin Anything for June of 2023. We do these episodes every single month where I source questions from listeners just like you and I answer them right here on the podcast. So if you have a burning question that you want an answer to, all you have to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA, it's the letter A three times, and you can submit your question there. But we have five awesome questions today that run the gamut per usual. We have job searching and creator stuff and value changes in mindsets and all that good stuff. So without further ado, let's jump in. Our first question comes from Peter, who's asking, if you were rejected after an early interview without specifics on why, is there a use in finishing the VVP you created and sending it? What's the likelihood of reviving a rejection this way? So when you've been rejected, a lot of people view that as the end of the line, and they just sort of cut ties with the company. And I think that's a really big mistake, because you never know why you were rejected, and you also don't know what else is playing out here. You know, whether the person that they thought they were going to give the offer to ends up turning them down or ends up being a bad fit. So I always recommend that you keep these relationships going, if possible, after the rejection. But if you've been completely ghosted, it still doesn't necessarily mean that it's not worth, you know, moving forward or continuing to try again, especially if this is a company that is absolutely, you know, on the top tier of your list here. So that's what I would think about is, If I create this VVP, if I finish it and I send it to somebody and I don't get anything back, am I going to be frustrated? Am I going to think that was a complete waste of time? Or am I going to view that as, hey, I shot my shot. I did everything that I possibly could to get in the door here. And at this point, it is what it is. There's nothing more that I can do. If you're feeling more of the first, then it's probably not necessarily worth it, right? If you have a lot of emotion tied up in this, if you're really, really frustrated, if you know not getting the outcome you're gonna you're looking for or hoping for here is gonna make you wish that you didn't spend the time. I mean, obviously, if we do spend time on something and it doesn't work out, you know, naturally we wish we would have spent that time elsewhere. But there's a difference between spending that time and viewing it as you know a positive. You shot your shot. You probably learned something from creating the VVP versus thinking that it was a complete and total waste of time. So if it feels like it would be a waste of time and you wouldn't really be super happy about any part of this if you didn't get what you were looking for, then I wouldn't do it. But if this is a company that you are super excited about, you love what they do, you love you know the, the experience that you've had so far and you would do anything to get in the door, then I definitely think it's worth finishing out a VVP and shooting your shot again, trying to create another opportunity for yourself. Because at the end of the day, we don't know why you got rejected necessarily. And I think, Peter, in the context of this example, you had shared that the role is still open, right? So they're still looking for somebody. And so when you come back to the table in this way, first, you're showing that you're persistent. But second, the VVP allows you to own the value. And you never know if that ownership of the value is going to convey it in a way that resonates with them. Whereas, you know, what you had done the first time didn't necessarily resonate with them, right? Maybe it gives them more info that they wanted to see that they didn't see before. So 
if these, if this job, if this specific opportunity falls in that second bucket, I would say go ahead and create it. But if this is just kind of another company and, you know, it's, it's, you know, one of many that you've applied to and it's sort of run in the mill, then it's really up to you. But I don't necessarily think that you have to go create a VVP for all of these companies that, you know, you haven't gotten offers at just because you want to potentially, you know, restart things and get things going again. Instead, I would say that more for companies that you are really excited about that do check a lot of the boxes on your list. Our second question comes from Victoria here, who's asking, what's the best way to figure out next steps in a career when you feel like you're falling behind? In other words, how do you strike a balance between creating the career you want and not jumping blindly into things because you feel like everybody else around you is much further ahead of you? So I think this is a great question because so many of us fall into this trap of, you know, comparison and keeping up with the Joneses and other people may be, you know, seemingly a lot further along in their career. Some people actually may be further, some people might not. And I think the biggest thing that we have to understand here is two things. First, we really don't know exactly what's going on with other people. Even our very best friends out there, we don't know the full story of what's gone on for them to get to where they are in their career. And oftentimes what's happening in somebody's career, what we see on the outside uh, doesn't tell the full story. And there are a lot of other things at play here. But we can look at it from the outside and say, oh, this person, you know, got promoted to VP, you know, five years faster than anybody else I know. And why am I not on that track? Or this person is making way more money than me. Or so they've told me, you know, why am I not making that amount of money? And so what we're doing here is reviewing things on the surface level rather than understanding the full picture. And it's almost like a social media feed, right? If you go to somebody's Instagram profile and you scroll through the content, it's going to be a highlight reel of, you know, them and their life, right? You're not going to see the mistakes. You're not going to see the rough times. You're not going to see, you know, the behind the scenes. All you're going to see is that curated feed. And so it's the same thing that's going on here when people are talking about their careers. So we need to understand that. But the second thing I would say, which is probably most important, is that you need to create your own definition of success for yourself. Because at the end of the day, when we keep comparing ourselves to other people, there are always going to be more and more people to compare ourselves to. There are always going to be people who make more money, who have more flexibility, who have a bigger house, who have this, that, or the other thing. And the problem with that is that game never, ever stops. So what you need to do for yourself is understand what happiness looks like for you. Because also, if we compare ourselves on you know some of these sort of surface level things, like who makes more money, who works at a cooler company, all of that... Just because society tells us that those things are, are cool or whatever it is doesn't necessarily mean that they'll make you happy. You know, I know plenty of people who have made a certain amount of money and it hasn't made them happy. You know, they, they make millions of dollars a year and they're not super happy because of other things that are going on. Or, you know, they just, they thought that working at, you know, this company, working at Google or whatever it is would, you know, finally, you know, allow them to be happy in their jobs. And then they got there and they realized that they weren't happy in their jobs. So that's the trap here is when we, you know, define our success by other people's criteria or why, you know, what society says is successful, uh, we're not being true to ourselves. And therefore, it's going to lead to some unhappiness. So the best thing that you can do is get really clear on the definition of happiness for you. What does that look like? So for me specifically, you know, happiness isn't making as much money as I possibly can. Instead, the, the ideal, you know, definition of happiness for me is doing what I want with who I want, where I want, for as long as I want. So that's basically the setup. And obviously, that's probably never ever going to be realistic on an every single day basis, you know, 24 seven 365. But if I work towards that, if I if I strive to reach those things, 
that means that I'm living more into that meaningful life. And so, you know, more specifically, what I'm looking for here is creating a business that's going to allow, you know, my family to have the opportunities that I want them to have, but also creating the flexibility for me to, you know, go out and have lunch with my wife when I want or to hang out with our kids and not miss, you know, any of the milestones or their games or their recitals or anything else that they want us to be there for. And also, you know, being able to travel like I don't ever want to take funding for our business because that would mean that I would have a boss, you know, above me who's, you know, expecting specific things and has this growth plan. And now all of a sudden, you know, I am stressed out because I'm working, you know, around the clock to try and hit these goals that somebody else has to grow the business. Like, that's not what I want. That's sometimes what people are willing to do if they want to make as much money as possible in life. But that's just not what's right for me. So getting very clear on your own definitions of success can be really helpful when it comes to creating the career that you're on. And then I think you need to realize that there is going to be, you know, a curve. It's not like you decide on what that right career is going to be and then you're immediately in it. I think you just need to come to terms with the fact that once you understand what, you know, the the career that you want looks like is, you're going to have to build it and that's going to take time. And during that time, you may feel like you're moving more slowly than other people out there. But again, we don't know what other people's level of happiness is. We don't know if what they're telling us is actually true. And then on top of that, it doesn't really matter because if that person over there that we're comparing ourselves to is happy or miserable or anything else, that doesn't really impact us. What's going to impact us most is if we are working towards the things that are going to make us happy. So that's really what you need to focus on and what you need to keep coming back to as you work through that ramp up period until you end up in that career that you have dreamed for yourself. So that was a great question, Victoria. Thank you so much for asking it. Our third question comes from Richie, who's saying, when you first started creating content for your blog and LinkedIn posts, did you ever struggle from writer's block? And if so, what did you do to overcome it and push forward? So this is a great question because most new content creators and and writers experience writer's block at at a certain point. And I definitely did at the beginning, uh, but then I, I never really ran into it once I built out a certain system. And I think that writer's block tends to stem from people who write off of momentum or motivation. So these are people who sort of need the right environmental factors to to write. You know, there's a lot of rights in there, but, you know, they need to be feeling a certain way or they need to have a certain block of time or they need to, you know, have a certain level of energy or this, that and the other thing. And if they don't have that, they get stuck on, you know, what to write about next. So the way to solve for that is to come up with some systems where basically the goal is, you know, creating to to actually do the act of writing itself rather than writing for a certain outcome. You know, what I mean by that is if your goal is to write, you know, the if to finish, you know, the next chapter in your book by X day, or if the goal is to, you know, write something amazing today or whatever it is, like that can be really tough just because, uh, you know, in order to finish something, right, to finish that chapter, it has to be good enough or to write something great, it has to be great. But instead, you know, the, the best writers that I know and the people who don't struggle from writer's block, their goal is to simply just show up and write every day. They could write one word, one sentence, you know, one paragraph, whatever it is, but they sit down and they write something every day. And that's what really helped me was making sure that I wrote, you know, a a certain amount every day. My goal was one post per day. And sometimes those posts were just complete crap. Sometimes they didn't make any sense. Uh, There's many, many, many of them that have never seen the light of day and will never see the light of day. But 
I completed them. I completed my one post that day. And one day, one week, one month of writing isn't really going to make or break things for you. Instead, you know, what you have to realize is that there are going to be good posts, there are going to be bad posts. And the only way to get to the good posts is to, you know, get through the bad posts as well. You're just going to need to get out there and write. So that's the biggest thing I would say is if you're struggling with writer's block, remove the expectations on the quality of the writing and instead just come up with, you know, a, a, a volume goal. So one post per day or 500 words per day or whatever it is. And then whatever you write, whether it's complete crap or whether it's the best thing you've ever written or anything in between, that's a win. That's a W for the day. And then you want to show up and do it again the next day and the next day. That consistency over time is really what's going to be key here. So Richie, I hope that's helpful for you. And I hope that helps you uh, get through some of your writer's block that you may potentially be running into. Dave has our next question here, and he's asking, if you were starting out on the creator path today, what medium would you master first? So this is another great question because a lot of people struggle to choose between mediums or in many cases, they try too many different mediums when they're creating. And so that's the first piece of advice I would have is to focus on one single medium at a time. You know, when I started on, on my business and on social, I did everything. You know, I was on LinkedIn, I was blogging, I was writing a newsletter, I was on Instagram, I was on all the platforms, and I didn't make any traction. And it was only when I removed everything except for SEO and I focused on SEO for a year and a half did I make track or did I make progress. Like I had my sole focus on one specific area and that's what drove my progress. And then once I had all those systems in place and everything optimized and growing, then I layered in LinkedIn and I solely focused on LinkedIn for a year and a half, two years. And then once I finally had that dialed in and I was growing and things were looking good, then I added in the next platform. So basically, you know, I think of this... Uh, uh, in terms of the acronym FOCUS. So it's follow one course until success. You know, if you're on multiple platforms, multiple mediums, and you're not seeing success on any of them, what you need to do is remove all the mediums except for one, and then you need to go deep. You need to go all in on that one medium until you see success. And only then should you bring in a new medium. So in terms of the medium that I would master first, what I would do is look at, you know, the medium where I'm going to be, you know, most creative and most excited to be on. So for example, I really hate creating video content. It's a super draining thing for me. I don't love doing it. It, it takes way too much time and my brain doesn't work in the ways uh, that, you know, video content works in terms of making it happy. On the other hand, writing is a huge energy creator for me. I love writing. I love doing it. I feel like I express my ideas and refine them best in writing. And so for me, naturally, I want to focus on mediums where writing is prioritized, right? So things like LinkedIn or Twitter or Medium. And what I'm going to do is avoid mediums like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram where visual content and video content is prioritized. So understanding that, understanding what mediums facilitate your strengths and, and the energy creators, that's the first step. And in terms of, you know, if you ask me for the specific medium, you know, it's really hard for me to give any other answer besides LinkedIn, just because LinkedIn is a social platform that's focused on writing, for the most part, text-based content, and is a hub for job seekers, which is, you know, who, who we write to, like how, what our business runs on, right? So it's going to be hard for me to give any other answer than that. But that may look different for you based on what you're creating and, you know, what your goals are and what your business is. But definitely for job seekers, I would say LinkedIn is probably still the, the best place to be on as well, because all of the hiring teams and hiring hiring managers and those types of folks are going to be on there and potentially going to see your content as well. So kind of a three-part answer there, peeling back the layers. Dave, I hope that was helpful, and I really appreciate you asking. 
Last but not least, we have Danny here who's asking, what's a personal belief that you had in your early 20s and how has that belief evolved, changed, or remained consistent for the last five plus years? And really, my answer here goes back to the answer that I gave for Victoria's question, which is, you know, getting an understanding of what success looks like for you. Back in my early 20s, success was basically what what other people uh, and what society said was success, right? Success was making a bunch of money. Success was working around the clock if it if it you know that's what you had to do to make that money success was working at a, a big name company like a google or a microsoft or whatever success was you know living in a place like new york city or san francisco like these were all the things that i thought would bring me happiness and, and bring me success and what i've realized you know as i've gotten older is all of that is is basically bs right all of that you know really isn't true because I've done all of those things. And definitely, you know, certain things had disproportionate outcomes. Like I love New York City, um, but I love it because of what it is, not because it, it makes me feel like other people think I'm successful by living there. Instead, I love it because of its vibrant culture and because of the convenience and because of all the amazing food and, and drinks that you can get there and because of all the cool different people that you meet. Like these are the reasons that I love it, not because living there makes me seem like I'm successful. And so that's what's really changed is redefining my definition for success. And I mentioned before, you know, really the pinnacle in my mind is doing what you want, where you want, with who you want for as long as you want. And again, that's not always going to be true every single day. But really, you know, for me, success is, is getting clear on my values and the things that I want most and aligning my life to that rather than aligning it to things that other people, you know, say are, are successful. And so for me, you know, again, I don't aspire to make, you know, the, the next unicorn company. I don't aspire to, you know, have a, a hundred million or a billion dollar valuation and sell and, you know, be worth, you know, nine figures and all of that. You know, instead, I would much rather trade all of that stress and all of that money for, for far less money uh, and a lot of my time back that I can spend doing, you know, other meaningful things, hanging out with my kids, hanging out with my wife, traveling, you know, gardening, uh, exercising, doing all these other things that I really enjoy doing. And, you know, I'm definitely going to prioritize, you know, Know, th those things over other stuff. So for example, last year, I was invited to do a TEDx talk. And uh, early on, I, I had, you know, sort of always been intrigued by doing a TED talk. And this was the opportunity. And so I initially said yes to it. But then I found out that in order to do the talk, you basically had to come up with a first draft that would then be reviewed. You had to come up with slides that would be reviewed. Then there was a, a second draft that would be reviewed along with the slides. Then you had to fly into the location early. You would have to sit through a multi-hour you know, rehearsal, and then you would actually be able to give the talk. And so what that meant was basically like 12 to 15 hours that I would lose spending time with my family and and working on you know the things that I really enjoyed in my business and frankly you know the the only gain was going to be like being able to say that I was a TEDx speaker you know there wasn't any money involved in it or or anything else involved in it and so I actually ended up you know saying no after I had said yes because that didn't align with my definition of success that didn't align with you know what I have envisioned for a meaningful life so that's, I think, you know, a good example of how things have changed for me. Whereas in my early 20s, I would have said yes to that. I would have done all the work. I would have, you know, made any personal sacrifices and gone and done the talk and then put it everywhere, right? Put it on my LinkedIn profile, tell everybody about it because 
other people would be like, wow, he gave a TED talk. And now to me, you know, none of those, th those things are, are nearly as important as being able to have those hours with my family and being able to actually spend those hours doing work that, that I truly enjoy. And that's going to take me closer to my goals. So uh, just a little bit of an example there, but hope that helps clarify things, Danny. And I'd be curious to know for all of you, you know, what's a belief that you had in your early 20s that's changed? Because it's always interesting to think back and reflect on, you know, where you've come from and where you are today. So again, Danny, thank you for asking. And um, thank you to, to everybody, you know, Danny, Dave, Richie, Victoria, and Peter for, for asking all these questions. They were all awesome. And if you have a question that you want me to answer on the podcast here, all you have to do is go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. That's the letter A three times. Submit your question there. I review all of them and I pick a couple to answer every single month on this episode. But that's it for this month. I will see you back here in July for the next Ask Austin Anything. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode of the podcast.